Welcome back to The Consequences Podcast with Paul McNulty and Sean McCreevy. wanted to talk a bit more about some of the, the amazing uh, recording and, and musical innovations that uh, Kevin Lowell and Martin Lawrence had, had come up with for this album. I mean, there are some amazing things. Uh, and one of the reasons why I feel my, my ridiculous claim that, it, that this is the pinnacle of sound recording uh, in, in the history of, of all of all the, the music that I've ever heard is that there are there are tricks used which are I think magical and some of my favorites on the album are where they're using a device called a, a Sennheiser head uh, it's been used a, a lot in advanced recording uh, for um, radio plays for example and it's basically a dummy head with two very expensive Sennheiser mics planted exactly where uh, our ears are and uh, basically any recording made with the, that head gives you a hundred percent authentic sound exactly as you hear it naturally with with your own ears what somebody's at the front door i didn't hear anything all right i'll take a look anyway <laughs> it to to fabulous effect on uh on the, the first piece that they recorded for the album the burial scene where poor old martin lawrence is at the bottom of the stairs in strawberry studios with his sennheiser head and a wooden board above his own head and then kevin godley is shoveling sand um down you know 12 12 stairs onto this wooden board that they're recording to create the illusion that you're being buried. Yeah, you're inside the coffin. Yeah, and, and it really is an, it's an exceptional... It's um, quite spooky, isn't it? It really is. I mean, the first time I ever heard it, I was listening in the dark with headphones on, yeah. and it really freaked me out. And it's, it's wonderful as well. As the, as the sand, as the earth piles up on the coffin lid, the outside sound effects, the, the wonderful... Um, uh, the sound of the, the priest's voice... Mm. Uh, gets quieter and quieter and quieter. Yeah. And then that final shovel load of sand yeah. shuts out all Sh the sound. Shutting a door or shutting a lid has never sounded... <laughs> it, it's. I mean, it sounds ridiculous, but it's never sounded as dramatic as that. No. And then, of course, the incredible use of silence. Yeah. There's just silence, which, mm. which is so thick and heavy yeah. until it gradually is then... Um, um, into that space comes the, the piano notes of, of, of the, the second part of burial scene. Yeah. For as much as it has pleased Almighty God of his great mercy to take unto himself the soul of our brothers here departed, we therefore commit their bodies to the ground, earth to earth, Ashes to ashes, dust to dust, in sure and certain hope of the resurrection to it. Now, that's not, 
that's not the only place silence is used to great effect on this record. We'll we'll we'll, mm. we'll uncover some more. So it's not sure. always sound. It's a spaces bes- between sound. Yeah, Golden Cream were masters of that. Um, Absolutely. Uh, it's yeah. It, I suppose the visual analogy. It's is not showing something, or something off screen as a as opposed to showing something. Mm. So this is translated to, to yeah. more powerful in many ways. Yes. Yeah. Another another brilliant way that they're using the studio and 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 the outboard gear uh, that they had at their disposal. Uh, probably my favourite sound element of of consequences is a wonderful section of Stampede. Um, where you hear Godly and Cree multi-track harmonies singing fire, fire, and you hear the sound of a bonfire. And using a, a, a noise gate, uh, it was called a, a keypex at the time, uh, using a noise gate, they manipulated the sound um, and linked the, the multi-track vocals with the pops and crackles of the, of the bonfire so that each of the loud pops from the fire would trigger the vocal sounds to come through. And that's what a noise gate does. Once Mm -hmm. the sound hits a certain volume, it allows sound through. And uh, we'll we'll have a go at demonstrating in a second, Paul. Uh, Absolutely incredible. And what you've got is Godling Cream sounding like they are a fire so that they and the bonfire are literally one sound. It's incredible. We can demonstrate it here, Paul. If we, if we pop our fingers like that to... We're popping sim- fingers first. That's right, to simulate a, a bonfire. Not very convincing. And then if we sing... Fire, fire, where you gonna hide? Fire, fire. So, and that we we use a, a very very easy digital plug-in gate mm-hmm. uh, that only lets our vocal sound through when the loudest pops and crackles are heard. Okay, so they weren't actually burning stuff. They were using the. They were what were what were they creating the sound with? They were were they were they um, breaking up paper or something? What were they actually doing? It had a kind of random element, didn't it? Which yeah, that's what made it. So Kevin and Law were, were bursting little bits of polystyrene. Uh, from you know packaging right um and multi-tracking it so you've got this wonderfully random collection of sort of crackles and it sounds just like a bonfire and the the loudest of those crackles triggered the noise gate that would then let in the sound of their vocals for a short duration and then it would cut off Uh, again so you get uh, you get this intermittent sort of vocal sound such as as we've demonstrated badly i should think (laughs) yeah there's another Another wonderful bit of, of recording innovation, which I, I absolutely love, is the start of the flood. 
Oh, yeah. Yeah, which is the, the final part of the sort of inter- the instrumental overture, the first uh, LP of the, of, of the three LPs, where basically you hear the sound of a guy going to the loo. And then as he leaves the bathroom, there's just a, a drip, isn't there? Um, and the drip gets bigger and faster and faster until it kind of explodes into this sort of tumultuous flood. Um, which literally washes away a, a whole crowd at, at a rock concert. But what's so ingenious about the, the water drips um, is that they, Kevin Lowell were recording bits of plasticine dropped into a bucket. And what they did, they played some of those, those sounds back at different speeds to create different pitches. You get bloop, bleep, mm-hmm. bop. And um, they looped them in a way that they created a rhythm track for the, the start of the of the of the of the of the, of the whole piece. Uh, wonderful innovation, so brilliant and so so effective. And I just love the way that track builds. It sounds unique. It was like it was like marshalling random elements of dripping water. It was like controlling. Uh, thousands of drops of water, so they they work together, right? So they Definitely. were basically multi-tracking. Uh, individual drops of water and playing them layered on top of each other with a slight delay or a slight gap between them so it sounded bigger and bigger.
heard that track i used to go around to my friend's house and listen to the album on his really nice hi-fi he hated the album but his, mm-hmm. his dogs loved it they always <laughs> their ears perked up with this dripping noise they went absolutely crazy <laughs> for this track so i had at least two fans yeah. that's uh, that's probably the track I, I used to use to try and evangelize the album because yeah. i thought somehow it's one of the most cohesive bits and it's so impressive yeah, musically it works because the the uh, during the latter part of that you hear conventional instrumentation. You hear uh, Lowell's guitar and Kev's drums. like to say that that the 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 instrumental passages on the album for all the recording innovations are really stellar as well Mm. and and i think they're often overlooked as musicians perhaps godly and cream absolutely i mean on this i think i'm right in saying on side one all there is is there's grand piano uh, which is played by lol there's drums which is played by kev and percussion Mm. and the gizmo that's it and that is it yeah no sense no sense no sampling that's right, but to tie it to, to ground it, it's got that. It's got the conventional, you know, uh, musician, uh, the, the skills of them as as musicians, which is incredible. I, and we'll we'll talk later on about um, their instrumental skill. But mm. I think Godley's drums on this are terrific. Fantastic. He's a terrific drummer. He's he's never talked about as a drummer. He's not a showy drummer. Mm. And from what I've heard, he's actually a bit self-conscious about his own abilities as a drummer. Mm. But he always... He's a fab drummer. He plays the right thing at the right time, uses everything from individual parts of a kit to a full kit. And mm. he really he really shines on this record. He really does. I mean, not, not just behind the kit, but on things like vibes and... And uh, tim- yeah. timpani and right. that sort of thing. It's just exactly. inc- it's an incredible sort of lexicon of, of percussion. Cream's playing. I mean, obviously, his, his guitar playing is is amazing, but it, it's funny in, in in more recent years when he's he's been doing you know, a lot of session work with Trevor Horn, um, a part of Trevor Horn's band, the producers. Um, he, he he is known as a guitar player, and yet his piano playing on the album is out of this world, isn't his it? His piano playing. He's um, he's quite. Whenever you see him interviewed, he. Uh, 
and we'll go into in some depth what they think of what they did with this album yeah. which is quite complex um godly uh, uh was until very recently extremely critical and almost ashamed is perhaps too strong a word but mm. he, he had some really complex emotions about what he'd done on this record it's a shame really because he creates something that which has given at least us and i'm sure lots of people all this pleasure and he doesn't seem to have enjoyed the experience lol always uh, seems quite um, oh yeah it was i just enjoyed making it and and mm. now it's in the past that's his that's his attitude mm. and, and specifically his piano playing i think he was um saying things like oh every note had to be dropped in and i, and I didn't play it you know, but that, that is really unfair. It's un- I think it's disingenuous because his touch, uh, his use of dynamics on the piano, mm. when he's really got this. Sometimes there's nothing else apart from that piano. Yeah. And but look at Blint's tune; it's practically ninety-eight percent piano, isn't yes, it? Yes, exactly. And there's some incredible playing. Yeah. Not to mention the little musical fragments, yeah. which are wonderful, uh, you know, in many cases. But yeah, the actual playing uh, is fantastic. And they were, at, the other thing, of course, almost goes without saying, is that they were now two and they had been four. Uh, they no longer had Graham or Eric to mm. play half the stuff. And um, so they, they, you know, they really had to play their socks off mm. as well as write and record and sing their socks off, which mm. they which they did too. Night after night after night for about eight months. Yeah, is that how long it took to record? Yeah, yeah I think they started in October 76. Yeah. And it had been wrapped up by June. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm not, not sure how continuous the recording was, but I bet you they were in the studio seven days a week. <laughs> uh, yeah, they, they, they um, yeah, their, wi- their wives like didn't see much of them during that period. <laughs> well, I think, well, the serious point is, I they, they kind of just wanted to stay in there, didn't they? Mm. Whilst they were in there in a kind of fog of marijuana smoke, uh, as <laughs> I understand it, they they could just carry on making this thing. They didn't want to have to come back into the daylight and actually sell it as a real album. I think that's that was almost the, irrelevant, wasn't that's it? That's that, yeah. Yeah, that's when the trouble started. Um, but maybe it should be irrelevant. If you're, if you're actually if you're doing something artistic, then you don't really need to sell it. That's the whole point. That's why they did this, right? Because they were fed up of being in the 10cc machine, specifically around the time of How Dare You, where they were having production meetings and they were sort of planning out the album and they had a retinue of people working for them. And mm. that's what they instinctively recoiled from and that's why they worked on consequences i think we know a song about that paul (laughs) (laughs) you've been listening to the consequences podcast produced by paul mcnulty 
and Sean McGreen. Thanks for listening.